Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Scott Palmer, and it is my pleasure on behalf of the Phillies to welcome you tonight here to Citizens Bank Park and our media room and our fifth installment of Strike Out the Stigma this season. We are really happy to see another sold out uh, crowd. This is something that the Phillies really believe in. It is important to us. So give yourselves a hand for being here. Thank you. The Phillies, in conjunction with Minding Your Mind, present a community outreach initiative, and it's focused on bringing important conversations to the forefront about the important value of healthy life habits, also supporting those around us, and most of all, removing the negative connotation of uh, mental health. Our topic for this month is centered on mental health and suicide awareness. We welcome a, a safe space here with all of you during our Strike Out the Stigma events and encourage all of you to engage with our panel. If you have a question, we have had some questions already submitted to us, but if you happen to have a question, please raise your hand and one of our Phillies personnel will get a, a microphone over to you. We hope that this isn't a monologue. We have a great panel you're going to meet in a moment, but we'd like to uh, make sure that we engage in a discussion, and uh, we'd like to know what's on your minds as well. Uh, also, we just have a little bit of other housekeeping. Uh, special recognition tonight to uh, Stevens Rise and Grind, a nonprofit beneficiary. Anybody with, oh, I see we do have a lot, a lot. So thank you very much for your commitment to be here. I found out a little bit about, about your charity, and it is certainly inspirational, and congratulations for everything you all are doing to keep his memory alive. Tonight we'll be recording this and distributing the panel for families to view across the tri-state area. We're gonna do that a couple of ways, one on phillies.com, and we'll also do it on our, our podcast. We're lucky to have an incredible panel, as you can see, here to uh, speak uh, with all of us, so let's meet them. First of all, I'd like to introduce our co-host, Dr. George James. Uh, Dr. George started out as a panelist with us when this series of conversations began, and um, he is so so talented, and uh, I need him. So we talked him into uh, uh, to being a co-host with us tonight. Uh, let's uh, let's start a little bit, uh, Dr. George, uh, with with your history and uh, how you came about joining us. And there is a fly here somewhere, so hopefully <laughs> he decides to go someplace else. Well, uh, thank you, Scott, for that. And I, I don't know about like they needed me. I just kept bugging them until I got an opportunity. So that's why I'm here. But first, I want to give a shout out. Look how amazing Scott looks. I mean, come on, we got to give him a hand clap. Come on. Got to dress so it up once in a while. Thank you, sir. <laughs> And a special shout out to my friend Sal with the uh, Star Wars socks back there. I saw that. That's good. Uh, look, we, we have to give credit where credit is due. That's what I learned growing up. And uh, so just a little bit about myself. I, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been in the field over 20 plus years, helping individuals, couples, families and businesses just improve their lives overall. And my sweet spot is really helping people in business and in love to be really balance those two areas so they're not out, out of uh, out of sync in any of those areas. And I'm looking forward to being here in this amazing panel and our discussion tonight. An important discussion for sure. And yes. it's always great to have you. Thank you, Dr. George. Thank you. Uh, our next panelist uh, comes from the aforementioned Minding Your Mind. Uh, Jordan Burnham is his name, and he's been with us, uh, fortunately, a few times in the past. It is always a pleasure to have him back. There you are. Let everybody know uh, your background, if you will, and, and how you got associated with Minding Your Mind, Jordan. 
Yeah, so usually I'm the best dressed at events. <laughs> you still tonight. are, my brother, you still are. And then Scott had to just <laughs> step on it. But anyway, uh, so uh, my name is Jordan uh, Burnham, and uh, I speak for the organization Minding Your Mind, uh, where we go into middle schools, high schools, colleges. We share our stories and speak on the subject of mental health. Um, when I was 18, I was a senior in high school. Um, I attempted suicide by going out of my nine-story bedroom window. Um, and while I was in the hospital, there was a reporter from the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper who asked my dad if I would share my story and do an interview. Um, I said yes to that interview. And from that point forward, I have just said yes to sharing my story. Um, so from that point forward, I was able to graduate high school and my life has been dedicated for the last 15 years of going around speaking to schools and sharing my story in, in hopes to make a difference and um, allow others to feel like they can share their stories too. So thank you. Thanks, Jordan. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's no coincidence that the uh, San Francisco Giants are in town right now, everybody. And we have two great representatives from the Giants organization. We're, we're thrilled to have them back. They were here, I guess, a couple of years ago. And uh, we, we can't be happier to have them with us tonight. And we're going to start with uh, Dr. Shana uh, Alexander. Uh, and you work with mental health with the Giants. Can you talk a little bit about your position, uh, Dr. Shana, and how you became involved in this? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Dr. Shana Alexander. I'm a clinical sports psychologist for the San Francisco Giants. And what that means is I help our players and staff with any sort of mental health conditions, both on and off the field. And also I do mental performance work as well. And so I'm at every home game and I meet with our players. And every once in a while, I'll travel with the team as well. Great, great to have you here. Uh, sitting alongside of uh, Dr. Shana is a former major league outfielder and currently working with the Giants as a mental health advocate. Uh, as I said, he has been here before. Uh, Drew Robinson, it is a pleasure having you back again. And I guess before we start, everybody is wondering about your companion there. Maybe I don't have anything to actually inter inter introduce uh, Ellie, but maybe you can do the introduction for us. Absolutely, yeah. This is this is Ellie. This is my service dog. She gets to come everywhere with me, uh, my little my travel partner. So she just makes life a lot better, um, and I'm happy to have her with me everywhere. Could you please share a little bit of your? I think I I call it an inspirational story uh, with us and and with everybody here. Absolutely, yeah. I appreciate you having me. Um, I'm a former baseball player, um, and like Jordan, I got to a place that I just couldn't handle myself and unfortunately attempted suicide and in one of the most violent ways possible and was fortunate enough to survive it. Um, after losing my eye, after realizing I had some things to address and learning the hard way, I realized that if I could be going through it, then a lot of other people can be going through it. So I also dedicated myself or my life to trying to help others not have to get to the point that I got to, to learn how impactful and beneficial therapy work is and really just trying to at times lead by example and just encourage others um, that this this work is life-changing and sometimes life-saving so um, i'm also just very passionate in hopes that no one has to experience what i experienced the the months leading up to my attempt and i'm incredibly fortunate to be doing this as my job and trying to blend my love of baseball and my new love of of um, better quality of life with mental health and trying to encourage others to to approach it the same way Drew, again, we can't thank you and Dr. Shana enough and, and Ellie for being with us. Uh, thank you all uh, for being here. Thanks to all of our panel. Uh, it's going to be a very, uh, I know, a, a very interesting, beneficial and thought-provoking, honestly, 
conversation. And we're going to start uh, with my co-host, Dr. George, and uh, you've got the first question. Thanks, Scott. One of the things I love about our series is that we're not afraid to talk about anything and everything related to mental health and mental wellness. And so this first question is for you, Jordan. I know that you speak with lots of high school students and college students uh, across the country. And in those conversations, you often talk about mental health and suicide awareness. Uh, can you just share some of the topics that might come up in those conversations? And two, uh, what advice would you give uh, for those who are dealing with uh, such topics that come up around uh, suicide and mental mental health? Yeah, whenever uh, sharing my story, a big part of not only sharing my story is afterwards, I get a chance to talk to students one on one. And some of the things that come up for them is I talk about struggling in middle school and high school with not knowing how to talk about how I was feeling. Um, I knew what I was going through, but I wasn't sure how to voice that. And I wasn't sure how to ask for help. When it came to thoughts of suicide, when I was at that place, to me, it felt like I was in a dark room and I didn't know if there was help on the outside and I didn't know how to open that door to allow myself to get help. And so for a lot of students, what I might hear within that room um, might be self-harm, might be things like addiction or alcoholism, drug use, alcohol use. Those are the things that can happen within that dark space. And what I try and focus on is what I needed to do to get out of that room, to open that door, wasn't just about me, it was about the people that could help me. Um, so for me, that included finding a therapist. For me, that included allowing my parents to be a part of my support system, which was something I struggled with when I was in middle school and high school. And so whenever I'm speaking to students, the thing that I try and say is if we stay with that image of being in a dark room, not knowing if you're going to get out, to me, I want to inspire hope in that moment. And what I think hope is, is not the door opening completely, but just a crack in the door that allows that beam of light that allows to know that there's someone out there and there's a reason to hold on for another day. And so whenever I am sharing my story, that's what I hope to do and planting seeds so that hopefully that person can get help when they feel that they need to. Jordan, there are so many people thankful for, for your participation and your inspirational uh, speaking engagements at high school because you, you touch uh, young people at a, at a, at a very um, important age. So. Thank you again for all you do. Dr. Shana, there's been a rise in professional athletes and really amateur athletes across the board in uh, going on what we call now, I guess, the injured list uh, with uh, mental health challenges. What do you think the reason is for the rise in the number of those occurrences? Yeah, I think this season in Major League Baseball, we've seen roughly 11 players go on the injured list publicly with a mental health condition. And that's new compared to any other year. So in the past, maybe a guy would claim that they had an ankle sprain or something along those lines when they were struggling with mental health. But now we're seeing these athletes really speak up with what's going on. Maybe they're struggling with depression or anxiety or maybe postpartum. We saw that. Um, we see that throughout all different sorts of sports. And I think the reason why we're seeing that is because different athletes in all different arenas are speaking up. So some really famous athletes are talking up and talking about their struggles that we're all human and we're all going to have struggles at some point in our lives. And so I think with the work everybody's doing to help reduce the stigma, we're seeing more people feel comfortable talking about their own struggles. And we're definitely seeing it within baseball as well. And those are the 11 athletes who are brave enough to come forward. We know there are others. And I'm going to go off script here a little bit. How do we uh, get to those who may need help, but somehow don't believe 
it's you know uh, a, a deal that they should admit to yeah exactly i think that every single club has athletes that are struggling and just because they're not going public with it doesn't necessarily mean they're not getting help with it. So ideally, like at the Giants, we have two clinical psychologists integrated within the teams and Drew on site as well to help support these athletes. And so trying to reach them through different avenues, maybe they're not ready to talk to a mental health professional, but maybe they'd be willing to talk to a peer like Drew. Mm -hmm. So just having different opportunities for people and meeting them where they're at. Dr. George, you have a question for Drew. <clears throat> yes, uh, you know, to what Dr. Shannon just said, I know over the years that I've been in this field, I've really seen things change in how people talk about mental health in lots of places. And so for you, Drew, uh, I'm really curious about, you know, oftentimes when we hear about athletes and mental health, there's a negative connotation about that. And, and I'm wondering for you, what was it like when you first got into the big leagues around talking about mental health or mental, mental health difficulties and how have you seen it change over the years? Yeah, well, for one, like Jordan said earlier, I just I didn't have the the articulation to even understand what I was feeling or what I was going through from an emotional standpoint. I just was programmed to just physical everything out to to grind it out, tough it out, just play, just play any kind of adversity, just push through. And so for that, I just always put my focus on the physical side. So when I was feeling the way I was feeling. I just felt frustrated and, and, and confused because I didn't have a word to describe it. So one, I didn't even have the ability to say what I was feeling if I did have the comfort to or have the, the strength to reach out to somebody. Um, but the other thing I think about with this concept is a comparison to the, or the training room in baseball, because I remember when I got, first got into pro ball, there was a stigma with the training room where if you even just went into it, you were considered hurt and you weren't going to be able to play. So guys stayed away from the training room if they had a more minor soreness rather than an actual injury because they didn't want that to turn into no playing less playing time um, whereas now it's a totally accepted preventative practice and it's like encouraged please come in here so that soreness doesn't turn into a, a serious injury and it's been totally accepted there was a little bit of a phase of hesitancy of like is this actually how it is or are we going to is this kind of like a, a trap where we're going to go in there with the soreness and then still not play and again it got to a point where now it's it's just free reign in there it's just guys are going in there for all kinds of small things. And so I, I compare it to that because I see the same thing starting to happen where it's it's viewed as a preventative practice and let me let me get this sooner on so it's not as overwhelming of a process and it can be more preventable and then realize it's actually a pretty empowering process because I'm finding benefits in my overall quality of life and then also it's gonna help with the clear mind for the actual com competitive advantage concept. So I, I like to use that comparison because it's there's the, that phase of not knowing necessarily what it's like, but then seeing all these people talk openly about it and we're all starting to realize that we're all going through a lot of different things, but creating similar feelings on the inside. And so we're all a lot more alike than we realize. So I see that same wave starting to happen with mental health within sports because guys are starting to realize it is um, a more common thing and it's, does, it's not a weakness and it's not something that makes you any different. It's just part of being human sometimes. And if we can handle it and address it in a more preventative way, then it won't turn into um, an unfortunate blow up like Jordan and I experienced. Yeah. Drew, I think we'd be, uh, I have a follow-up question. Uh, we'd all be interested in knowing how old you were when you first realized that, that you had a dark place. And did you at the same time have, have moments when you thought, oh, maybe everything will be okay. Maybe this is just a phase. Yeah, I think more the 2020 hindsight concept, I looking back, it was kind of a part of my life and I, Looking back, I 
I remember patterns and signs that it had been there since childhood. Um, and just like I said, we all have our triggers and our things that cause us to act ways that we're not proud of or something that causes some serious discomfort. And I had moments years before where I actually thought about suicide, but still, even in that moment, I was not articulate enough to understand what I was actually thinking and to actually like catch myself and have the recognition that this is a sign of something that needs to be addressed in another area of my life. Um, and so it really wasn't until a couple months before my attempt that I was actually thinking more, more than just passively about suicide. And I didn't have the, the, the guts to just address it um, and think about it. So it wasn't clearly in my mind what I was going through in the discomfort up until a couple months before. But looking back, there was definitely signs and patterns and habits that I was showing that were a, a, attached to something deeper that I just didn't have the awareness or the guts to actually think about or process. Dr. George. Hey, Drew, thanks for sharing that. And it just makes me think, I mean, two things. It makes me think about how times have changed. And I actually had a conversation with uh, stereotypical some men who actually pride themselves that they haven't been to the doctor in a long time. Like, yeah, I haven't been to the doctor in 20 years. That's not something to be happy about. Right. <laughs> or proud of. <laughs> right. And, and so this thought of like how the club group has changed over years where like guys are able to say like, hey, I have something going on with me physically and mentally. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Jordan, uh, September is National uh, Suicide Prevention Month. And we know that you do this work in just trying to help so many people across um, the, the country. And when we talk about young folks and some of the struggles they might experience, when you talk about that, that dark room and creating hope, what are, what are some, what's some advice or support that we can give to young folks who might be dealing or experiencing even some challenges or maybe even thoughts of, of suicide? Yeah. So the, the first advice I was I would give is um, a lot of times we think of what's the best thing that we can say. But in reality, the best thing you can do a lot of times is listen and to create that space for young adults to talk about how they're feeling. Um, so I always say one of the best questions that you can ask a young adult isn't how are you doing? Because usually you just get one or two word answer. Good, fine, doing OK. Uh, but when you ask someone how they're feeling, uh, it means that you're actually taking the time to listen to what they might be going through actually what they might be feeling. Um, so being able to open up that space is a great way to hopefully start that conversation. I also, th I also say too that we can model the way that we talk about mental health. Um, good example of this is my dad, my mom and dad are on the side here, and my dad would do something I absolutely hated. Uh, he would do what's your high and low for the day. And I thought this was him interrogating me to know more it information. <laughs> Just a little. There were some other, you know, intentions. So when we would do the high and low for the day, what I didn't realize is my dad was humanizing himself. My mom, she was humanizing because they're my heroes. I don't think they have bad days. So then my dad just being able to say I was sad. You know, I was disappointed. Um, I was upset is something that models someone being able to talk about how they're feeling and what they're going through. So a lot of times that can be a great way to help people is to model that conversation about mental health. Um, and I think also too, with me, I love sharing my story. It's absolutely my favorite thing to do. Um, but what I always see is the peer to peer, being able to share my story is what I see as the connection that gets through to people. Uh, just quick story, I remember this was a while ago. My best friend and I, Travis, we were out getting burgers and there was, we were about to pay 
I was about to pay. I was about to pay. <laughs> Travis doesn't pay. He doesn't pay. That's all right. Um, and so right before I'm about to pay, there was a guy who comes out of nowhere and he said, I would like to pay for their hamburgers. And so I said, thank you. And I said, you know, why? And he said, you came to speak in my school five years ago and you saved my life. The least I can do is buy you a burger. Now, I don't know what specifically I said. I don't know what sentence it was, but purely by me opening up, talking about mental health and me sharing my lived experience, whatever that was, gave him hope for that day. And I think just continuing this conversation and the storytelling is really how we get through. That's awesome, so powerful. Dr. Shana, we applaud the Giants organization for the steps they've taken and being in the forefront of working with mental health challenges. But I'm, I'm curious, when you approach a player or do you approach a player who maybe you see or, or, or Drew sees as maybe exhibiting some tendencies that don't look exactly right, do you get pushback? And if you get pushback, uh, and I'm sure this works at every level, not just professional athletes, but for all of us, how do you overcome that? Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody's at a different level in their willingness to talk. And so oftentimes I will approach a player and just introduce myself if I haven't met them before and just say, hey, if you have a couple minutes, I'd love to share a little bit about what I do. Because what we do at the Giants might be a little bit different from what you've done in your other clubs or from the past. And so that's kind of usually my end with players. And then oftentimes players will approach me as well. So there's multiple different ways that players come my way. So sometimes coaches or the managers will encourage them to come speak with me. Sometimes Drew will have had conversations with them, encourage them as well. So especially when Drew came back as a player, mm -hmm. he was a huge resource for us. So he came back and played at our AAA level. And when I went there for that first time, so many players wanted to talk. And I thought, oh my goodness, what's happening in Sacramento? Wow. And they said, well, you worked with Drew. And he said, you made a really big difference in their lives. And so I thought, why not give it a try? And that's when I realized this guy was gonna be a huge resource for us. Mm -hmm. And when he was ready to retire, we really wanted to have him a part of the mental health team. So we have different avenues on how players come to us. But when I talk with players, I talk to them about very first off, how are things going off the field? Because if things are not going well off the field, you're not going to be performing well on the field. And so I always take a look at basic self-care. How are they sleeping? What's their diet look like? Are they using substances? Meditation is a really important thing that I encourage. And then when we get into a little bit more of the performance piece, because a lot of our guys feel a lot safer coming to me saying, hey, I want to improve my confidence stepping up to the plate or on the mound. And I say, absolutely, let's have, a, let's have a chat about that. And very first, I'll talk about what's happening off the field. So I'll touch on mental health first, and then I move into performance because I think we've got to get to the root of the problem and you need to be balanced off the field. And then some of the performance work that I do is some visualization. We use some different trauma techniques that are also used for performance as well. So our minor league psychologist, Dr. Emily Payette, she does EMDR and brain spotting, and I do brain spotting as well. Can you explain what that is, please, Dr. Yeah. So it's a definitely a different style technique, and it's very fascinating. So actually our manager came to me and said, will you give brain spotting a try? At the time, I had never heard of this. This was, I think, three years ago, maybe a little more. 
And I said, sure. And so I looked it up and basically you wear these headphones with bilateral music. And so it, go it switches back and forth between one ear to the other. And then the therapist pulls out this long pointer and brings you across your vision field. And where you look in your vision of field attaches to different parts of your brain. And along the way, we're gonna hit on some sort of trauma or injury that has been stored from the past. We've always thought of trauma as somebody who has been through something really horrific, like maybe a military veteran. Unfortunately, all of us will experience some sort of trauma in our lifetime especially athletes, because our body, quote, keeps score is what they say. So we hold on to difficult experiences and injuries, and they accumulate throughout our life. And if we don't clear those out, they could interfere with our performance or how we go about our life. And so our players really like it, specifically our pitchers. I do a lot of brain spotting with them, and it makes them feel freer on the field. So typically they come in and they say, you know, I really want to focus on this shoulder injury I had, and I want to perform better on the field, right? Absolutely. Let's do that. So I pull out the pointer, and I start moving across the vision field, and I'll tell them, tell me when you notice a spot that feels heavier, maybe a change in emotion, or an increased heart rate, or something along those lines as we move across. Some of them, they cannot identify a spot, but I can look at their face and I can tell just by the different changes in their face. And I'll say, what do you notice here? I don't know. And I'll hold them there for a little bit. Most of the players, most of the people that come into my office will get tearful doing brain spotting. And those tears help release that trauma that they've been holding. Usually, I'll have them rate their level of distress when we start and then rate it at the end of the session. And it comes down dramatically. I am a certified brain spot technician now. And initially, when I went through it, I was like, there's no way this is real. It feels like it almost feels fake because you just don't see people improve this quickly. And then after going through it, participating in many sessions myself, I recognize there's something significant to this. And then now doing it with our players, it's been really fascinating. So that's one of the key things that we do with our players on both the minor league and major league side. I'm blown away by that. I had yeah. no, I, no, no ideas. Th thank you so much. And mm -hmm. maybe uh, we'll, we'll, someone will have a question. I know I eventually do. Huh? How, how, how do you find a, a, a registered therapist that could brain spot? Actually, so psychology today, you can just go to that website and type in brain spot, brain spotting, and you'll find there's all of these certified brain spotting providers out there in every different state. So there's actually quite a few. It's pretty popular. Supposedly, one brain spotting session is equivalent to 10 talk therapy sessions. So it's pretty fascinating stuff. And some people it's amazing. It works really well for other people can't find a spot. And yeah. maybe that's just not a right fit for them. But yeah. I have had a lot of success with it, and I think it's pretty neat stuff. The part I love as a clinician is, you know, oftentimes we promote some of these ways to help folks. But internally in our minds, at least in my mind, there's some things that are like, this is not going to work. Uh, and I know, like, I had that feeling about mindfulness. And then when you start to learn more about it, yeah. start to practice, you're right. like, oh, this is actually going to work. And mm -hmm. so that's what I thought about, as you were saying, you know, brain spot and, like, how now, like, you're a champion for it. But at one point, you know, it was a little bit. Yeah, so it felt much. very bizarre thinking about going in and having somebody hold a pointer and move it across the room, right? And I'll just speak from my personal experience. I had to go through about 10 sessions, and I did it around the loss of my father. And initially... That was really, really heavy for me and very difficult to talk about. And now I can talk about it pretty freely. Clear it's, clearly it's sad and there's some heaviness there. But before that, I would be up here totally crying telling you about that story. 
Yeah, unbelievable. Awesome. We'll, we'll move on. Drew, the next question is for you, and it comes from one of our attendees. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it so I make sure I get it right. It says, Drew, thank you for being so open about your story. One of my closest friends has previously had suicidal thoughts to the point where she attempted, but was luckily unsuccessful. Your story has brought her and our whole friend group a sense of hope and a constant source of guidance in our conversations about her. However, as of late, she has not wanted to talk about it anymore. The first part of my question is, do you ever struggle talking about your story? And secondly, should I try to continue to get my friend to talk about her worst times in an effort to heal? Yeah, the first part, I, I don't ever have trouble talking about my story. The, the trouble that I run into with an insecurity about my story is after the fact, sometimes I feel so good about talking about my story, so helpful and feel like it helps me so much that it causes a little bit of a imposter feeling after the fact of claiming that I'm healed or claiming that I'm fixed rather than healing. Um, and sometimes I realize, or sometimes I think that the way I just, just got done talking about it, it makes me sound like, or feel like I have the answers when really it's, I'm still living life. So I have my ebbs and flows. I have my challenging times or my darker times and, and it's just a normal part of life. And so the actual talk about my story is actually the most, one of the more freeing, most authentic parts of my life. And I enjoy it so much. Um, so I don't have trouble talking about it. Um, and there's no difficulty attached to talking about it. Um, and the, the second part, I think the importance is just creating the space like Jordan talked about before about allowing that friend to know that you are always willing to talk about it when they're ready. Um, I don't think that there's one right or wrong way to do any of this. Um, so if there has been a change or a shift and not wanting to talk about it as much, I think about having just those open-ended comments about letting them know that when, whenever you're ready, I'm, I'm here to talk with you mm -hmm. with no judgment. I'm not going to give you unsolicited advice. I'm just going to be here to listen and, and create that space for you to feel comfortable to, to have that release. Because I think that's, that's the most beneficial thing that I get from therapy on a consistent basis. I have the sessions here and there where it gets more specific with the practices, but the overall feeling that I get is more just a, a venting session, a unloading session, and just letting, getting things off my mind, off my chest, out of my mind, and feeling a little bit lighter afterwards, even though I just got done talking about some heavy things. Mm -hmm. um, so just letting the, the friend know that you're there and it's a non-judgmental ear to, to listen because at the end of the day, again, we all have our battles. We all are going through something that no one knows anything about or doesn't know the specific feelings. So just allowing that space to happen. And I think it happens a lot. I would assume I'm not a provider, but I, I feel like I find myself offering and letting them know without an uh, expectation to talk to me right then, but just letting them know whenever you're ready, I'm more than happy to talk things through with you. And there's a lot of different avenues how that happens. So. Um, I think that's something that goes a long way and it's, it's something that doesn't seem like a fix in the moment, but it actually does go a really long way because sometimes we're just not ready to talk about it in yeah. the moment, but maybe the next day, the next week, the next month is the day where they need to ha really have that, that release. So Jordan, what I'm, what I'm hearing here, uh, is to be aware when you are out in public, people who know, you know, your story, but those who might not, you're, you're constantly listening. And that seems to be the key word right now, listening. Yeah. You talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, that's my favorite thing to do 
is I love listening. I love creating that space. It's one of my favorite, but my second favorite thing to do is validate because I think it's so important because um, we all go through things. We all struggle um, at certain points in times. And I think when, when someone just says that makes a lot of sense, I can see why you would feel that way. It makes sense that you're crying. Something just as simple as that can be so meaningful to someone to not just share in that moment, but continue to share. And that's always my biggest thing is when someone comes and talks to me, I don't go into fix it mode. I know I'm not an expert, so I'm not gonna know all of the things, but I know how to listen and I know how to validate. And within that, that can be really helpful and also healing for someone who might be struggling. Dr. George. Yeah, Scott, I was wondering, I feel like this is about the time where we ask the audience for a question. It's a great idea. Let's take a pause Let's do and, uh, and see what's on, on what's on your mind. So out there. Maybe something a, we said or, or yeah. that uh, has, has got you thinking about any of the topics that we are speaking about. Yes, we have a person right over here. We'll take Dr. George's mic. Hi, good evening. Um, my name is Kevin Jackson. Jordan, Drew, first and foremost, thank you both for still being here. Um, obviously, your your messages are radiating uh, both regionally here and uh, out in, on the West Coast. Um, unfortunately, I'm here through a tragic loss of my own. I lost my 16-year-old daughter um, to a suicide uh, three and a half years ago. And uh, you just you, you just don't know. Um, she was an all-star. She was, she checked every box. Um, she was seeing a therapist. Uh, there's, with suicide, there's just the one thing that we learned is there's just no answers. There's, the why is just infinite. And um, we don't have those answers, but what we have done is we've taken our pain and we've decided to start a nonprofit in her name. Uh, we're very familiar with Stevens rise in front of us. We've we've met them before, and happy to see you guys. And again, our condolences. Um, but there's a lot of families that have suffered losses like this, and we're all just trying to do our thing to keep our child's memory alive. Um, everything you're saying radiates 100% with everything that we preach. We're, they, my organization is Hope for Haley after my daughter. And our mission is transforming those conversations, um, finding that safe space to have those conversations. And my wife and I and um, volunteers that work with us, that's what we come across time and time again, is just being able to have that space for someone to have those conversations. And again, I thank you all for being here. Uh, Dr. Alexander, thank you for the work that you're doing. Just absolutely like Mr. Palmer said, just blowing my mind with, with what's out there. And, and I hope that it continues. And I thank the Phillies and I thank Major League Baseball for recognizing the importance right now of mental health in general. As, as Drew said, we are all carrying that invisible backpack and it's when we don't talk about it that it weighs us down. And we're just trying to do our, our little part so that no other family has to feel our pain. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be up here and have this conversation and share my story. Thank you for, for sharing. And, and we applaud, we applaud how you are attempting with your family to turn it into a positive. And Jordan, that's the ultimate act of bravery, isn't it? To take something like that and try to move forward with it. 
Yeah, first, I just want to say I'm sorry for your loss. Um, the second thing I want to say is thank you for doing what you are. Um, healing looks different for everyone, and grieving looks different for everyone. Um, but being able to find the source of strength to be able to inspire hope, um, to be here tonight, to start a nonprofit, to do the work that you're doing. Um, to me, the reason why I love being a part of suicide prevention is because I get to be a part of something that's bigger than just me. And as much as I, again, love sharing my story, what I love the most is hearing from others, hearing other stories and the work that they're doing. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing with all of us tonight. And thank you for the work that you're doing and continuing to do. And I also just wanted to speak up a little bit and thank you as well for sharing your story. It's heartbreaking. I can't even imagine as a parent going through something like this. But I did want to share from a therapeutic, from a professional's experience, how difficult it is to predict risk. So I'm a mental health professional and I'm supposed to be able to predict risk or help people who are going through their most difficult times. And Drew was very open about the fact that I was his therapist when he attempted suicide. And my initial thought was, what did I miss? Here I am a professional like 11 years into my career, somewhere around there. How did I miss this? And I said to him, tell me, what did I miss? Could I have done anything different? This is going to make me a better provider. Please be honest with me. You're not going to hurt my feelings. And he said, absolutely nothing. Not even the closest people in my life knew that this was going to happen. And I don't know if I liked that response or not, because I wanted to hear something that I could do different to save the next person or make a difference. But the reality is risk is so difficult to predict. And that's why it's so important that we reduce the stigma and just keep having these conversations. Well, thank you. Is there anybody else that would like to share either story or ask a question? Yes. Thank you so much. You all are wonderful. Hi, my name is Rebecca. Um, I lost my son to suicide four years ago um, while he was a college uh, senior. Um, you had mentioned about the door, feeling like the darkness in the door. I've heard some other survivors talk of at the time they attempt, they even though they have a lot around them, they feel like they don't. Like they feel like they don't want to reach out to people they're close to because they don't want to burden them or, or be like a problem. And then the people they're not that close to, they feel like maybe they'll be embarrassed or they'll be made fun of or something like that. Can you talk about any of that related to when you're at that time? I think a lot of us that have lost people have a lot of questions about, and I know it's different for every person, but you have a lot of questions about what was going on in their mind at that time. So I, I just wanted to ask a little bit about that. Yeah, I just wanted to... Um say one thing, no one had any clue. Uh, when I attempted suicide, no one knew it was getting to that point. Even my parents who were making sure I was seeing a therapist, who were checking in, um, no one had any clue it was getting to that point, especially such a violent way of attempting suicide. Um, now, I, the other way I like to describe it is sometimes wearing sunglasses 24 seven. So when you're in the dark, it's that much darker. And when you're in the light, it still doesn't mean the same because of what you're going through. And so that's what I would say it was like having friends, family, people that supported me. I love them. I love having them in my life, but I did feel like I was a burden. I always felt like I was disappointing people. I felt like I was not enough. And ultimately those thoughts and those feelings to me became truth. 
And I started to hold on to that narrative versus questioning those thoughts, versus questioning how I was feeling about myself. And so for me, that's one of the biggest reasons why I felt like I couldn't open up is because a lot of people didn't even know just surface wise that I had depression. So it was hard to just open up about that, let alone I think I'm having thoughts of not wanting to be here. I also didn't realize that those were suicidal thoughts. When I said, you know, I wonder what life would be like for other people if I wasn't here, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm thinking about suicide. I'm just thinking I have thoughts of hopelessness and despair. I feel like there's nothing here to live for. So I think going back to what Drew and I have both been saying about articulating how you're feeling and knowing how you're feeling, today I would hear that and say those are thoughts of suicide. But back then I just thought that's what it feels like to be depressed, so what can I do about it? Um, so that was one of the biggest hurdles for me was just finding the words and knowing what to say. But in terms of the people around me, no one had any idea. I was at that point of going to attempt suicide. Drew, I see you nodding in agreement. Would you like to share something? Yeah, I just, it's, again, it's so different for everybody, but similarly, I was just so, I, well, I was just a terrified of being misunderstood. I, on the outside, again, I was, wasn't an established big leaguer, but I had big league experience. I had achieved my childhood dream. I was living financially comfortable. At the time, I had a very supportive fiance. My family cared about me. I checked all the boxes on the outside of having everything I had ever wanted, but on the inside, I still didn't feel that way. So I was terrified of judgment, of being misunderstood, of how can I feel that way? And so I just didn't have the acceptance attached to the feeling I was having, like you said earlier, the validation. Even though I was feeling that way, I didn't want others to know that because how could I, from the look at my life, how could I be feeling this? So I didn't have the acceptance and I was terrified of being misunderstood. Um, so I thought also I would just be an inconvenience and people would be so confused that they would write me off and say that I'm, I must be some kind of crazy because look at your life, how dare you feel this way? Mm -hmm. And it just created a very heavy feeling of guilt within and I just didn't have the guts to talk about it and not and knowing that I and again I didn't have the articulation again I was just I was just feeling horrible but not being able to say well this is because I'm having suicidal thoughts or this is because I have depression or because I grew up the way I grew up it just was a horrible feeling that I didn't know how to articulate so asking someone for help or telling someone how that I'm feeling this blah of a feeling without the words was terrifying to me because I didn't even know where to start. So I think it's something that um, just goes back to the importance of just starting somewhere, no matter how messy it gets, because yeah. it's, 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 it'll always get somewhere more clear. And it's always, um, again, it can become something that's life-saving. Dr. George, you know, if you allow me to, to share a personal anecdote, yeah. uh, which I've shared before uh, in, in these sessions uh, previously, uh, I, I have, uh, I deal with anxiety and it becomes more frequently as I get older. And people look at me and say, how can this guy have anxiety? How can he be anxious? He sits in front of a room full of people and, and he talks freely and openly. Uh, and you know, for crying out loud, when we won the World Series, I was fortunate enough to stand in front of 44,000 people here who came here after the parade and, and talk about what a gas the parade was and thank all. So how can I have anxiety? And, and, and it's a little bit of what you were talking about, imposter syndrome, but it, it, just, it just happens. It, it, maybe, maybe someone could share, is it psychological? Is it, is it blood? I mean, I've had a lot of people talk to me about that, but it, what, what does that come down to if I can? Yeah, and again, I'm, I'm not a prof professional, but I feel like I just like to 
lean on relatability because again, the external circumstances are gonna be so different from person to person, but I like to give myself peace of mind for accepting someone for how, how they're showing up or accepting the way I'm feeling by thinking that we're all feeling the same chemical reaction that creates those feelings of stress, depression, whatever, again, I don't know exactly the science, but I'm just saying the person who is homeless and worrying about their next meal is feeling the same feeling of worrisome that maybe a CEO is feeling of an entire company depending on them. So the external circumstances are completely different, but I just think of the concept of empathy because we're all feeling the same things just on completely different levels from completely different external circumstances. So it helps understand that everyone can be feeling anything at any given time. So can we just show up and be more empathetic and more accepting of someone? Because again, we're all going through something at any given time. Well, thank you. And it goes back to over here, striking out the stigma. Yep. Dr. George. You no, know, actually, Scott, that's what I was thinking about is that I think that that's why I love what we're doing here is that we're actually putting words and names and experiences and stories to things that people feel and go through that sometimes don't have an opportunity to, to hear it or to see it or to feel it. And, you know, just in the work that I do and probably Dr. Dr. Shana feels the same thing is that people are often just lost and wanting to have a little bit closer understanding of why. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're doing here. We can never solve or answer all the questions, but we can get a little bit closer to being able to say, okay, I understand it a little bit more for myself and those that I care for. We're totally off script, but we're loving what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think at this point, you know, we might move on to some other questions, but uh, maybe for you, Dr. Shana, I'm wondering like, as you're working with, you know, athletes who are dealing with, you know, having to be in front of large crowds, having to face uh, what I would probably imagine some of their own anxieties, how do you help them to just go up there and stay positive in front of the thousands of people, uh, probably on a regular basis? Yeah, absolutely. So once again, it starts with off the field, right? So I want them to practice these skills off the field before they're put into a big moment in front of 40,000 people. And a lot of the techniques I come down to mindfulness, staying present in the moment. And so really doing some meditations, on their own off the field. So a daily practice. I like for our players who are interested to have a daily mindfulness practice. Um, mental health routines are super important. So Drew's a really great example of somebody who sticks to some really healthy habits. Journaling, I like to have them do a daily success journal at the end of the night, do some visualization of when they've performed their best. And then self-talk is so important. What you tell yourself really makes a difference. The more you hear it, the more you believe it, the more you're going to act on it. And that comes down to your own thoughts as well. So if you're questioning whether you're going to be able to throw that strike, more than likely you're not going to throw that strike. And so what you tell yourself makes a really big difference. And this goes far beyond sports. This goes for all of us, right? Our confidence really matters when it comes to our self-talk. So be kind to yourself. Think of it this way. You'd never tell yourself, You'd never tell your friends some of the negative stuff you tell yourself. So you need to talk to yourself just like you would somebody you love. Well, that's, that hits that hits home. That's it's a bullseye. Uh, I think Jordan, I'd like to ask you about just life in general with highs and lows and you know monotonous times and then really you know exciting times. We hear a lot about trying to find our authentic self. Mm -hmm. Is is that just a I don't know, too easily used authentic self or or is there something that we should all strive to to be uh, and, and in, in search of our better mental health? 
Yeah, I think the authentic self, one, a great way to find that is journaling um, of just what are the things that I did today? What did I enjoy doing? Um, what are the things I'm doing for myself? I'll give an example for me. Um, I love going to the movies by myself. I, it's great, I get a good seat every time. I don't, I don't have to worry about, do I want snacks? Do they want snacks? Do I laugh? They're not laughing that. I get to just enjoy myself in that theater. And that was something I couldn't admit for a while because I, I didn't know how people would judge me or look at me. And then I would say it and people would say, oh, me too, I love going to the movies, especially matinee by myself, that sounds great. And slowly but surely I began to open up to the authentic part of me. Um, that I enjoy sharing, the things that make me happy, the things that seem a little weird to other people that in the moment are just my favorite. Um, you know, I'm, I'm open with kids that like, I love video game. I do, I love video games. Um, NBA 2K, I play too much. <laughs> but there's just something about carrying a franchise in NBA, anyway. So <laughs> just, there were these things that like, I used to say, all right, I'm not gonna share any of these things because I just wanna keep it to myself, where then I appreciated that this is my authentic self, who I am as a person, what I talk about, just the things that I love to do, I love sharing that part. Um, because I never realized how many people share some of the things that I love to do. Um, but also too, it, make, it helps connect me with people by sharing those experiences. So I love doing that. And it's like, now that I'm 34, I only have like two or three things where kids can connect with me on. Cause like, I'm <laughs> like, yeah. there's a, the references gone. Like the, the like I was talking Dude, about. Dude, wait till you get 73. I, oh, this is totally lost. Slang I, terms just changed. I, I brought up Dr. Dre and someone oh. said, oh, the guy who makes headphones? And I was like, yeah, that's the, that's him. So the, the th one of the things that connects me with those kids is when I talk about NBA 2K and when I talk about my love of music. And uh, those are the things that I feel are authentic because one, I actually genuinely love them, but also two, when I share them, I get to hear other people's perspective and the things that they love. Um, so that's what I think is authentic. Your authentic self is the things that you love to do. Like I said, sharing my story and, and being here just for a second to be authentically myself. Um, when I met Drew uh, before we came here, I shook his hand and I said, hey Drew, I'm, I'm a big fan. And uh, it was a lie, because I'm not a, I'm a huge fan of Drew. And uh, one of the things he had said earlier was, you know, he didn't have the guts to ask for help. And uh, one of the things I've been wanting to tell him for so long is the amount of guts it takes to share his story in the way that he does and to be a face of mental health in the way that he is, is just uh, remarkable. So in my authentic self, I just want to say uh, how much of an honor it is to be up here with Drew and, and sharing our stories. So, yeah, I, you know, I, of course, I believe in the warm and fuzzies I have for oh, a long all the time. way. That has to give you a big warm and fuzzy, Drew, to hear that, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I guess wearing a shirt that says vulnerability. Um, so no need to try to hold back the tears. But yeah, every time I am fortunate enough to hear things like that, like how Jordan shared earlier, people someone had mentioned that he saved their lives. Um, just the way any kind of experience that we've all experienced is able to affect somebody um, positively, it's just, it never gets old. And um, it's just another reminder of how important this stuff is because the reason we're talking about this stuff is because of some heavy stuff that happened in our life. So it always just means the world. Very cool. Dr. George. 
No, I'm feeling the warm and fuzzies too. I mean, <laughs> this is why we're here, you know, I think to have this conversation and to recognize that, you know, in sharing stories, we can be more connected and we just never know who's listening. I mean, I think that's, you know, one of the things my, my mom would always say that she helps other people uh, because she never know who's going to help me. And, and I, I recently just shared that with my daughter, right? I'll do things for other people because I never know who's going to support her. And I think like what you both are doing, what Dr. Shane is doing and our ability to be here is a part of that. So I think we're probably at that, that time, aren't we? We're pretty close, but I, I wanted to get some authentic warm and fuzzy. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope you've all have been informed. I, I, I think we all have, uh, aside from Ellie, who seems rather nonplussed by our entire discussion tonight. <laughs> Ha ha this is normal for Ellie. <laughs> Does anybody have a question before we before we leave? Because we don't want to leave anybody's question out. We do have time if someone has. Yes, of course. Hi, um, I'm Margie Gostner. I'm the founder of Stevens Rise and Grind, and Steve is my brother who passed away on December 9th, um, 2021, after suffering from um, anxiety and depression. And my question is, Dr. Sheena, you mentioned there's really no predictability for people who may, you know, attempt suicide, who may die by suicide. Um, but I'm just wondering, are there certain warning signs? Are there certain behaviors, not just for parents, but for teachers, for friends that maybe, you know, we should be aware of? And if we see them, think, okay. I need to address this with that person, or maybe I need to tell someone else, you know, about my concerns. Yeah, Dr. absolutely. Shana. So it is really difficult to predict risk, but there are definitely are some warning signs that everyone should take seriously. So if somebody says, makes comments like they're considering ending their life, or they don't feel like they can go on, or they start giving away their possessions, or you notice them withdrawing, they once were really socially active and very connected, and all of a sudden they're just really isolated, tearfulness, just a huge change in personality, maybe even a change in hygiene. Also substance abuse, maybe they're using a lot more than they ever did before. Those would all be indications that somebody might be at risk. And that's where I would encourage everybody in this room to say, hey, are you okay? And have those difficult conversations. If you feel comfortable, I really would even encourage you say, to be able to say, have you had thoughts of hurting yourself? Can I get you connected? to a mental health professional. Can I support you in some way? We're gonna wrap up our time together here with some final thoughts. We'll, we'll start with uh, Jordan and work right around. Uh, final thoughts is that this was amazing. Um, I think this is the, I know there's not one solution in terms of uh, breaking and ending the stigma of something, but I know part of the solution is having conversations. And so I'm always appreciative of, again, the opportunity to share my experiences and what I've been through. Um, but also I realized that through the guides of mental health and talking about suicide prevention, this is what we get people coming together, people wanting to make change. And so uh, my final thought is just wanted to say thank you uh, to everyone here for showing up and being here. Drew? I'll echo that, I just wanna say thank you. Um, I think the other two things that come to mind for a closing thought is just, it doesn't need to take a, an event or a stage to talk about this. I think that the most important part is having those, just adding those small conversations in our already regular day-to-day -day conversations. I think that's the, 
the misconception I sometimes fall victim to still is waiting for a session or waiting for something big to happen um, or an organized thing as opposed to talking about what I talk about with whoever, but then also adding to that conversation of asking how they're feeling or asking more of these things and acting as an additive instead of a whole life um, shift. So it doesn't take a, a stage, it doesn't take an event. We can do these these improvements incrementally and it does make a big difference. It adds up to a huge difference, even though it might feel small in the moment. And then the quote that I always just, the, the two quotes I always hold on to, which I feel like you will relate to is, we're all healing out loud to prevent others from dying silently. Mm. And if anything, if you didn't get, if nothing sticks, I hope that if, I hope this sticks is that people would rather hear from you than about you. And that's the quote that I think about if I would have came across before, I think it really would have shifted things. So again, please, if you're feeling any kind of way, just talk about it. I don't know the science, it just works, it just helps. So please, we'd rather hear from you than about you. Dr. Shana. Yeah, I think just normalizing that we're all human and we're all going to have struggles. And so if you can really model that behavior and something that Drew said in the past that I thought was really amazing is he'd really like to hear people brag about therapy like they're going to the gym. Like, yeah, I had my therapy session this week, you know, being really proud of taking care of your mental health because it's just as important as our medical health. And these sorts of conversations, they're not easy and they're pretty heavy, but they make a difference. The last time Drew and I went and spoke to a high school, we got feedback a few days later that one of the students spoke up to the school counselor and had a plan to end her life that weekend and decided not to because of hearing from us. Wow. And so I think these sorts of conversations are so hard, but they're saving lives. So I really thank you for all being here and for your passion and for the Phillies for putting this stuff together. Dr. George. Yeah, I'm just thinking about so many different uh, resources and tools and tips that were shared today. And I just encourage you to think about just one thing you want to do. Maybe you want to journal. Maybe you want to share or talk to somebody. Uh, maybe you want to find that therapist to go talk to. Something that you heard today, take it home with you and practice it. Uh, and I, I look forward to, I, I'm almost getting emotional that we're at number five, Scott, and we have one more left. Uh, but because this is just so powerful, what I think this is doing, striking out the stigma in terms of talking about things that sometimes people don't talk about, but need to. Well, another bullseye. Well, for, for Jordan and, and Drew and Dr. Shana, Dr. George and, and for Ellie, um, we thank you all for being here very much and engaging with us on this very important discussion. Uh, now let's, uh, you, you guys don't have to hear this. Let's go out and win a game tonight. Right? <laughs> thank how you guys. Thank we, how you. we always end. Go Phils! Go Phils! <laughs>